Well, good evening, TNL. This is Jared Mackey. For those of you who I haven't seen in a while, I still am serving as the executive director and lead pastor of the Sacred Grace. I was preparing this talk. It dawned on me that the last time I gave a talk at TNL was March 17th. It was five months ago. And so much has happened over the last five months. And maybe the most important thing that I would want to share is just I'm incredibly thankful. I'm grateful for so many of you, for your friendship and your faithfulness over the last five months, and maybe even more so over so many years. I was thinking about it a couple of days ago, and it dawned on me that probably more than 50% of TNL has been here more than 10 years. So really, my reflections tonight are words about continuing to do what you already have done and what you are doing, which is to be faithful. I want to encourage you, TNL, to be faithful to God, to each other, and to this mission that the Father has called us to do. The text that we're in tonight is Ephesians 5, as we continue in the series on the fruit of the Spirit. Ephesians 5 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The professor of theology and philosophy, Philip Kennison, reminds us of a few important things to frame our interactions with this text, this list of characteristics of this life in the spirit that Paul is pinning to the church in Ephesus. There's three things that I think are important to remember every time we come to this text. The first, Kennison says, is to fail to bear fruit is to fail to provide the world of an embodied witness of God's reconciling presence. The church may, of course, continue to speak to the world about God's reconciling work, but without the fruit of that work, it words will sound hollow. It's the fruit of our lives, not our rhetoric, that are the witness of God's kingdom. It's the outworking not just the vocabulary that people are paying attention to. And that's why this is such an important text for us to come to on a regular basis is to ask, what is the fruit of my life? The second thing that Kennison reminds us of is the church is God's cultivated field. Ultimately, it is God who gives the growth. We're always needing to be reminded of this, that fruit is not something that we earn or we strive towards. It is, in fact, God who makes things grow. And it shouldn't be lost on us that the agricultural analogy is probably the best one because it does require intentionality and effort to cultivate soil in a garden. But it is the mystery of growth and life and fruit that occur. My garden, like some of yours, takes some intentionality, but we're still all as amazed when the tomato shows up and it shows up red and ready to eat. Or this year, I'm super excited because my zucchini is actually producing fruit this year, and it hasn't for the last two years. And I'm not really sure why, but I'm always amazed that it is, in fact, God who makes things grow. And the third and final thing that Kennison points out as we come to this text is he says, individual fruit in individual lives is not our ultimate goal. Instead, the church is called to embody reconciled relationships and a life that God desires for all of creation. What he says is fruitfulness is a collaborative effort. We are growing together, TNL, in following the way of Jesus. 
The church, not the individual, is the way that God has chosen to work relationally in the world, in us and through us, to reduce suffering and to increase joy. This is not an individual effort, but it is something that we are doing together. Together we're following the way of Jesus. So tonight I just want to offer a few reflections about faithfulness as we come to this text in Ephesians chapter 5. So to understand this word faithfulness, I want to quickly just highlight what does the word mean in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, the understanding of faithfulness would have been to be certain, to be established, to have like this total dependability. The first time we see the word faithful show up is in Deuteronomy 32. It says this, I will proclaim the name of the Lord. Oh, praise the greatness of our God. He is the rock. His words are perfect and his ways are just a faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. A faithful God. See, faithfulness is one of the primary descriptions of the character of God. If God is love, his love is expressed in his faithfulness. As Phil has pointed out, and I think it's beautifully illustrated, that love comes through as light and this prism of colors is how we understand God's love. And one of the primary descriptions of the character of God, of his love, is his faithfulness. It's rooted, steadfast, totally dependable that is present in the character of God. The visual that is written in Deuteronomy 32 is he is the rock, capital R-O-C-K. Long before Dwayne Johnson, God is the rock, the one who is totally dependable, steadfast, Now that understanding of who God is as faithful begins to expand and invite us in into the New Testament as we understand the word in the New Testament of faithful to be trustworthy, to be reliable, to remain. It shows up in Jesus's story about a master and some servants in Matthew chapter 24. The text says this, after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. Jesus is saying that this idea of faithfulness is actually what God is looking for. What are you doing as far as stewarding what you've been given and how are you taking what you have been entrusted and showing yourself to be reliable, to be worthy of trust, to remain. To God's holy people, this is what we are called and invited. And this is, I think, one of the really most beautiful uses of the term faithful in the New Testament is it's in Ephesians chapter one, this text that we've been in in Ephesians chapter five, but the introduction to Ephesians, Paul writes this, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. He actually uses the term as a descriptor of who they are, the faithful. The people of God are described in this way. They are the faithful. This faithful, steadfast way is how we are invited to live and respond in love to each other. Well, as I've been saying this word to be faithful, what's the mental model that you hear? 
I think many of us might consider marital relationships when we hear about someone being faithful, right? We think about a couple that is faithful to each other. But what if we were to press into that in our cultural moment? What if we were to ask a few more questions about what does it mean to be faithful? I feel like that, unfortunately, the moment that we are in, it's more about not being unfaithful that equals now being faithful, right? To not cheat on your spouse is clearly to not be unfaithful, but I do not believe that that is the same thing as cultivating love that is expressed in being steadfast and worthy of trust. See, faithfulness in a relationship is a security and a stability. And it's a relationship that's so worthy of trust that it's far more of an expression of an expanding and deepening love than that you have not crossed a relational line of infidelity. Not cheating is not the point. I was introduced to cheating in fourth grade. I went to a Christian school. So I guess either A, I didn't see anybody cheat until fourth grade or B, they were doing a really good job of it. But I remember specifically in fourth grade, I was asked by our teacher to go down to the office and get something. And when we came back, the teacher informed the whole class that we would be taking a quiz. She handed out the quiz, sat down a little packet on her desk and left the room. As she left the room, I began to do my best on the quiz that was in front of me, a little nervous about tests because I've always been a little bit on the anxious side. Well, all of a sudden, two rows over, one of my friends stands up, walks up to the front desk, slides the cover sheet off, grins, giggles, looks at the answers, slides the cover sheet back, walks back to his desk, and begins to fill in very quickly all the right answers. I was appalled because, you know, we're at a Christian school and somebody's cheating. And about the time that I had gotten over my concern with my friend, two other kids stand up, walk to the front of the room, slide the piece of paper over, look at the answers, go back to their desk, start filling in the right answers. And all of a sudden there's this like this stream of kids that are walking up front because like one domino has fallen. And so they're all falling. And I'm sitting here in my desk asking the question, like, how am I the only holy child surrounded by pagans in this Christian school? Well, my anxiety did not have to last too long. The teacher came back, asked us all to turn in our quizzes. And I sat there very confused about the world that I had now found myself living in until the teacher pointed out that today we were going to be learning about peer pressure, about cheating and about how when I was sent down to the office, everybody was in on this little social experiment about what would Jared do? Well, I didn't cheat, but I don't know that I would say I was faithful. But the hard thing is, we maybe have just said that faithfulness is just not cheating anymore, not cheating on your taxes or not cheating in your classroom or not cheating on your marriage or not cheating with your work hours. But I think faithfulness is far more than not cheating. Ronald Rollheiser, a Catholic writer that I've been inspired by over the years, says this, faith is fidelity, nothing more, but nothing less. Faith is fidelity, nothing more, but nothing less. 
I've been drawn to this word in my study about faithfulness and my understanding of faithfulness. This word fidelity feels like it has a weight and a gravity to it. Fidelity is really closely related to this beautiful imagery of abiding, about this rooted remaining, this deeply rooted and lasting love that's reliable and dependable is what we begin to understand with fidelity. And this is what the fruit of the spirit produces in us for each other and for the world. And why is that so important right now? Well, Rollheiser continues to describe our moment and our call to fidelity beautifully in these words. He writes, It's becoming increasingly difficult in today's world to trust anything or anybody. For good reason. There's little that's stable, safe to lean on, or trustworthy. We live in a world where everything is in flux, where everywhere we see distrust, abandoned values, and people moving on from what they used to believe. There's contradictory information and dishonesty and lying as socially and morally acceptable. Just so you're not confused, he didn't write that this year. He wrote it 20 years ago. And so he continues with this. There's little left of trust in our world. And what does this call us to do? We're called to many things, but perhaps nothing more important than fidelity, to be honest and persevering in who we are and what we stand for. This is what I believe that we are called to do and what in so many ways I believe TNL we have done and are doing. And I want to encourage us to continue to do, to be faithful to God, to each other, to our city and to the mission that God has called us. See, a gift that we give each other is our faithfulness, a a rooted presence that remains. This reliable expression of love in the midst of uncertainty is what faithfulness is. And it's remaining faithful to cultivate love in our life and our relationships in this moment when so many are tired and they're giving up and they're giving in. And this is the vision of the people of God following the way of Jesus. It's to be rooted and established in love. That our roots would grow deeper. That our mission to live an integrated life and following the way of Jesus would happen because we are cultivating faithfulness. We're cultivating this response to God's love for ourselves and for each other and all the places in which we live and work and play. Rollheiser concludes with this. One person's fidelity makes everyone's fidelity easier, just as one person's infidelity makes everyone's fidelity more difficult. So inside of a world that's highly individualistic and bewilderingly transient, when it can be and feel as if everyone is forever moving away from you, perhaps the greatest gift we can give each other is the gift of our own fidelity to stay for a long time. Perhaps the greatest gift we can give each other is the gift of our own fidelity to stay for a long time. So many of your names and faces come to mind when I read that line. I think of my friend, Justin Phelps, whose birthday is this week. So happy birthday, Phelps. I think of the Alexanders and the Galuzzi's and the Blancs and the Burke holders. So many of you who have chosen to raise your children here when raising kids on a church 
that meets on a Tuesday night at 7 p.m. is incredibly challenging. I think of so many of you who have given to the musical creation of TNL and serving in the kids' ministry and probably the, the picture and poster of faithfulness of Lauren Grant, that the greatest gift that we have given each other over all of these years is our fidelity to stay for a long time. And this is a moment, TNL, where I think we're invited once again that the gift that we can give each other is faithfulness. Two thoughts really quick, um, because I think it's important to talk to both married and unmarried people about fidelity. To those of you who are married, the greatest gift that you will ever give to your spouse and to your children is your faithfulness. Not just not cheating, but a rooted love that's secure and deepens its roots that remain. Brian Loritz writes in his book, The Dad Difference, about the immeasurable gift his parents' marriage and fidelity gave him. Growing up as a black man, he explained how his assumption of his parents' commitment and marriage created a tailwind that he was able to live life leaning forward rather than spending his life questioning if his parents' marriage would remain. The faithfulness of every marriage is a gift to any other married couple. One marriage that remains and deepens in love inspires others to cultivate a love that lasts. In the same way, one parent's love that remains for a challenging child inspires other parents to lean in. One family who chooses to build their family through adoption inspires other families to consider being faithful to God's call to love the least, the lost, the orphans, and the widows. Fidelity is the gift that we give each other. And to those of you like me who are unmarried and single, you are still called to fidelity, to being faithful to the love that God has given you to share with others. And it's not only a gift to others, but it is a gift to yourself that your roots would deepen and you would be established in being loved and sharing that love. That idea is expressed simply and beautifully in the words of Mother Teresa. God has not called me to be successful. He has called me to be faithful. So we are invited to give and receive this gift of love expressed in faithfulness to God, to each other, and to our city. This faithfulness to lead and to love and to serve for 25 years has been the witness of TNL to our city. And I would encourage all of us that we would remain rooted and continue to be committed to cultivate this trustworthiness this dependability and reliability for those around us because the road ahead will have countless reasons to not show up, to not lean in, to not root ourselves deeply. So what does it look like for us to have our roots grow deeper in a season where it's incredibly difficult to remain? Well, I think years from now, it will be those who cultivated faithfulness in this moment that will bear fruit of a deep and lasting love. And that is my hope for TNL, that we would be faithful in the simple spiritual practices of worship and prayer and study, even if they look different in this season than they have in the past, that we would be faithful in serving each other and sharing meals and sharing our time and sharing our homes in the season of uncertainty. And that we would be faithful to continue to serve those who are overlooked, children in the foster care system, 
simple ways of providing and stocking the free little pantry, looking out after our neighbors in the season in which we have been kind of pressed in and towards them. TNL, you have been faithful and I want to encourage you in this season to not give up and not give in, but to press on to be faithful. I'd like to close with recognizing two men whose lives ended this last week who were faithful. Maybe one of the things that we need to reclaim is telling the stories of those who have gone before us and looking at their lives and listening to their words about faithfulness. The first man is a name, J.I. Packer. He's a theologian and the author of a book, Knowing God. TNL did a series at least 10 years ago through this book, Knowing God. It was written in 1973, the year that I was born, and millions of copies have been sold over the year. Packer really was inviting people to shift from a knowledge about God to relationally knowing God. And he writes in his book, what makes life worthwhile is having a big enough objective, something which captures our imagination and lays hold of our allegiance. And this the Christian has in a way that no other person has for what higher and more compelling goal can there be than to know God. I also appreciate that he had a bit of a punchy sense of humor about his spirituality when he at one time said, well, trying to describe what I do in prayer would be like trying to tell the world how I make love to my wife. Good job, J.I. Ultimately, though, he was a man who was faithful about his desire to know God. He's maybe most known for this quote. Once you become aware that the main business that you are here for is to know God, most of life's problems fall into place. I mean, all of us have a number of unexpected and unforeseen problems that we're navigating, and I would encourage us to be faithful in knowing God. The second person who died just a couple of days ago is John Lewis. John Lewis was a civil rights leader from Alabama. He led the March on Washington in which MLK would give his infamous speech, I Have a Dream. And Lewis would be one of the two who would lead the march from Selma to Montgomery. And on Sunday, March 7th, 1965, which would become known as Bloody Sunday, Lewis crossed the bridge and met a group of state troopers who were ordered to disperse the crowd and did so by beating the demonstrators with their clubs. Lewis's skull was fractured and he suffered a concussion. He would bear the scar on his head from that incident for the rest of his life. But he was faithful. He was faithful to believe in a God that loved and forgave. I've read Lewis and listened to him speak. Uh, He was consistent about that. If love is not at the core, then none of our work towards civil rights will last. He would go on actually to be a politician in the House of Representatives from 1987 until this last week of his death. Both of these men, Packer and Lewis, lived faithfully. They lived what Eugene Peterson called a long obedience in the same direction. And their fidelity was a gift and is a gift to us to live faithfully. So TNL, I want to encourage us all. May we live faithfully. May our faithfulness reflect the faithfulness of our God. And may our love be expressed in a rooted way that remains and serves as a witness 
of his love to our world. Amen.